Hey, Marcus. Yo, what's up? Do you like movies? Yes, I do. I'm really excited today. Me too. You know why? For why? two reasons. I've had a headache for 12 weeks, and I went to the brain doctor, and they're going to give me medicine to make me not have headaches. Good. Yeah, I called you the other day. You said you had a migraine. Yeah, like all the time when we were trying to do that other project with Star Power, not Star Power, Supernova, I was always having headaches. Jeez, yeah. Oh, but there's a more exciting reason. Why? Why? So this is Zebras in America's podcast. This is your host, Werner Herzog, along with uh, Bars Von Trier. Yep. Also known as Scott Thorough and Marcus Penn. Yep. So I don't know if we mentioned this, but this is Zebras in America's podcast. Yep. And we have a guest today, our first guest that knew that he's a guest. Okay, fair enough. I was going to say shout out to Nova. No, we, 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 Nova didn't know he was a guest. That is true. He just kind of walked into us. Yeah, I just, if someone walks in and I have a microphone, I'm going to talk to them. Yep. Because I'm an asshole, but I'm also very creative. <laughs> um, so our very good friend is here. Yeah. Yay! Uh, right. Our friend M2 McGant. Yo, what's up? So, uh, I've known you for, like, since 2002. Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, we're having you here because you're my good friend. Mm-hmm. We lived together. We did. For three years. 474. Yeah, 474. Shout out to Richard Grundy. What's up, Rios? Pa- Papa D. Papa D. Um, and, you know, really through, like, the, the crux of uh, figuring out how to not be dirtbags in our 20s. This is very true. And you introduced me to Marcus, mm-hmm. and then we had that great conversation, and then we decided to have a podcast without you. That's I true. Know, I, th- it, I think it should be mentioned that in the kind of podcast description and in our first episode, when Scott and I talked about how like we had this conversation, and this woman came up to us, and she was just like, I'm, I don't mean to interrupt you, this is the most fascinating conversation I've ever heard. And Tume was also there, also. He, he was there, too. Yes, and if so. you could if you could talk above the mic, so you're not directly, so yeah, oh, so we like don't, this? yeah, because okay. of the deesser, okay. maybe we'll we'll change that in post. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, you you are here because you for many years you were you were a, you were an actor and a rapper. Yes, and as an actor, mm-hmm. I'd say people would best know you from your roles in Carlito's Way: Rise to Power. Yes, 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 yes. Oz, yeah, as Reggie yeah. Rawls, very unlikable character. He to was. the point when I first met you, I was like, "Are you an asshole?" Because <laughs> you did such a good job. Yes. Um, the '90s New York classic, Hurricane Streets. Oh yeah. And that math tutoring commercial. That was on for so long that I never got really good residuals from. Yeah. Terrible. So so we know you from that, but oh, you decided bringing out the dead. Also, yeah. It's one scene, unlike the other stuff you named, but it's like it's like such a. I wasn't. I wasn't doing your IMDb. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> oh. Um, shout outs to IMDb. That shit got me a check last week. Someone looked at my IMDb and they had me make music for sports. Nice. I, nice. Shout out to capitalism sucking. Oh, that's dope. Um, but paying my rent. But now you've decided to direct. Yes. And you've directed two short films, mm-hmm. Spit, mm-hmm. which I scored. Yes, you did. You scored that. And that was at which film festivals? Uh, it was at the Aspen Shorts Fest, Woodstock Film Festival. It uh, won Best Short Film at Coney Island Film Festival, Cucaloras, played, 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 played some, some, some fun places. 
And now you are on the circuit for your second short film. Yes. Called Whiteface. Yes. Which I scored as well. He did. And that that movie is really non-controversial. It is probably the easiestly most digestible film that anyone can ever watch. I feel like it's not having a hard time at all getting screened. No, not at all. And people really understand it. Totally. And no one's offended. No one's offended and no one's afraid. Is it possible that almost everything we just said is not true? I think it's incredibly possible and probable and actually, yes, it's not true. (laughs) Speaking from someone who suffered a headache for, for 11 weeks, whiteface is sort of like having a headache. Yeah, I can see what you mean. There's a lot of distortion. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, totally. No, I know what you mean, yeah. What is Whiteface about? Uh, Whiteface is about a, a man named Charles Rogers who was an actor who, uh, let's just say he's fed up with the life that he lives as a black man, so he decides in the only way he knows how to step out into the world in a new character uh, as a white person or his, his expressionistic viewpoint of what a white person would be so how does he do that he paints his face white he uh dyes his hair blonde relaxes it which i actually had to do in playing the role and uh wears a confederate coat with a trump button and uh goes around new york city having various experiences plays with his voice you know how he expresses himself and the the film is us seeing these things play out. I think the, I think it's really good. Thank you. Not just because I scored the film. Mm-hmm. And I think it's some of my best scoring work. It's a good movie. And so why did you decide to act in it? Oof. I, I, I approached an actor uh, who, who's very good, excellent actor, after I wrote the script. And um, I wanted him Alec to do Baldwin. it. Alec Baldwin. Uh, he was my third choice, not in Alec Baldwin. Um, this actor has a lot, a lot of TV work, and um, he didn't like. He said he, he. I remember he said specific, specific, specifically to me. I don't like the character, so I don't think I can play him. And um, I was like, okay, cool. But then he like wrote me like ten emails like in a row, like after the same day, like rethinking it, and he. I pretty much knew he would never do it, um, and for reasons he wouldn't didn't want to tell me, um, probably mostly because career-oriented things. So once he said no, I kind of knew it was going to have to be me because these kind of roles, I think, these days are just something that a lot of, a lot of actors are afraid to kind of touch. So was that a necessity? Partly out of necessity, but then I realized um, it was something that I was supposed to do. Do you believe in manifest destiny? Totally. 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 Do you believe in God? No, I don't. But you believe in destiny? I do. Uh, If you could have dinner with three people, who would it be? Uh, Malcolm X, Andre Tarkovsky, and Nina Simone. It's a pretty good list. (laughs) That'd be fun. That would be a very intense conversation. Oh my God. It'd be so heavy. What would you cook for them? Well, no pork. Well, yeah. Uh, I would probably make them 
Coco Vaughn? I don't know. That's actually a really good question. I, I want I want Tarkovsky to eat like greens. Interesting. Do you I, think he ate vegetables? Uh yes. I was actually watching Voyage in Time the other night and he was eating. He was he was in Italy eating eating uh vegetables and food and fruits. Marcus, what do you think is Tarkovsky's favorite vegetable? Favorite vegetable? Yeah. Like a turnip? Something like displeasing? Because although he's one of my he's one of my favorite filmmakers. He seemed to be similar to Han- Michael Haneke, or Michael Haneke, just like someone you don't necessarily want to hang out with for a long period of time. He, he was of the belief that like movies shouldn't be entertainment. Um, he was very combative towards like female film critics whenever they would interview him. He was very like just way more arrogant and like asshole. He just seemed like, like a prickly guy. So I feel like a turnip is like the best thing that would like, like it's just so like true. pulled from the ground and just like bite it as he was directing scenes. What do you think was Susan Sontag's favorite vegetable? I'm not fast enough for that one. I can't think. I'm sorry. I'm be. I'm terrible. Right. She like she likes beets. Beets. Yeah. I love beets. I love beets too, but I could tell she probably really liked beets, and she, I don't think Susan Sontag. I think she only ate sweets in private. What? Yeah. I'm most. I've been rereading Susan Sontag because your friend Dennis, last name, uh, Kangali, or mm-hmm. wrote a really long, Fanonian essay mm-hmm. about whiteface. Yes. That harkened back to the style of Susan Sontag. Mm-hmm. It was great, but man, was it long. Yeah, he actually just pause. Pause, 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 pause. Yeah, he actually just did an, an edited version that I think will, will be on a really cool website pretty, pretty soon. Spacejam.com? That's <laughs> no, good. We need more long-form uh, writing. Yeah. There's I, a lot of... Uh, cause, just because that's, I guess, in my field, so I, I'm i a little obsessive with reading a lot of stuff, and it's like, you know, it, it, it almost feels like not to be a jerk, but like, what was the point... Like, you start up a WordPress, Blogspot, or you even get a .com only to write like 300 words about something. I feel like even if you dislike or like something, especially if you dislike something, write what, like just talk, you know, like write more than just like a paragraph. It almost seems pointless to just say a few words, like to say a few sentences, unless they're very, very super duper prolific. And most people don't, myself included, don't have the talent to write like a like one prolific paragraph. So I think just. It's like, like on a test, show, show your work to get more credit. Like, write a lot and talk a lot about a movie. Takes I, a lot to go into a movie, so show it the same kind of respect, even if you don't like it. I like your longer form stuff. I like you because you, cause you write thought-provoking things. I do, you know, I come from the school of rap music, so I wonder that rap journalism is over. So it's nice yeah. when I think music journalism. I don't. I don't think. I think rap, Twitter killed the music. Twitter and yeah. being able to listen to MP3s. This this and Buzzfeed. Me, I felt very proud of myself. I got a bunch of likes and retweets on a simple tweet that I wrote because uh, someone, this uh, journalist on Pitchfork, she wrote. Um, who's the guy? James Blake. I don't know. Whatever the young British guy. He had a new album come out and it got really terrible reviews. And she was very proud of this this critic. It was like her first piece for Pitchfork. I hate Pitchfork. And she was very proud. Like, oh, I ripped this album apart. And then one, and then finally I was just like, I made a comment. I was like, you wrote for Pitchfork. So it was like, 
isn't this the same publication that gives legitimacy to Lil B? And then I felt like it was a death blow because nobody reacted to it. And then it was just like overnight, I woke up the next morning and it was just like, like a ton of just like, and I was like, exactly. So it's like, you write for a pop, like you tour, it's like a pop album too. It's bubble, it's not, I'm not gonna say it's not worthy of criticism, but it's something that like, it's gonna go platinum, who cares? that you think the lyrics are, are simple and, and similar. Like, this is a publication pitchfork that, like, gives legitimacy to ignorant, coonish, buffoonery black music, but, like, music that... Black music, specifically, music of color that has a lot of effort and input. Like, an anti-pop consortium album has never gotten, like, over a six and a half on pitchfork. But, like, you know, Lil B will get it. I don't... I think... I think you... I think Lil B has more substance than given credit and I meant to send you some music of his that I like oh. I like him a lot I do agree that they don't really understand rap music and often give bad reviews to people that there's no reason to because it won't affect their sales but I think Lil B like he he understands that people like easily digestible things like meme shit so he'll make yeah. these 100 song albums that are uh, repetition and stuff, but then he'll throw in the middle like he has this great song called uh, "No Black Person Is Ugly," sure. where he raps like he's very smart. He he understands what he's doing. It just goes too far when he starts. It it becomes an in joke that goes too far, which is a very hipster thing when he but starts not, giving lectures at MIT. It's, it's not it's like, not his fault that hipsters are terrible and they make things oh, no. large. And I'm, you know, my bigger issue, like that's why I start. My bigger issue is with the publication itself. I don't like Will Be either, but it, yeah, it's definitely not his. If people offer him something, go ahead and take it. But no, it's it, it, it's the machine more than him, a- a- absolutely. As I said before in another episode, people don't hate Mondays; they hate capitalism. Very, Very true. And to me, what's your favorite movie? Favorite movie of all time? Yeah, oh, you only get one. I'm still gonna say Dog Day Afternoon. Int- wow! Really? Over and obviously, for those listening, we all know each other. So it's yeah. like, I, I thought you were going to say Chameleon Street. I would say Chameleon Street is easily the most influential film. Yeah, in, I don't in, think in, that's your favorite movie. in the in the history of my life. But Dog Day Afternoon has been with me for so long, <laughs> and I like it for multiple spheres of my life, and it never goes away. Mm, it like never goes away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like a personal favorite, but Chameleon Street to me is the most important film in my of my existence. Sure. You know, it's sure. it is so important to me. Is there a recent movie that's blown your mind in the in uh, the world, or like, or, or like how recent? It's up to you how you determine. Yeah, in general, something the maybe you discovered or in the Holy world. Motors blew my mind. Yeah, that's, that's a yeah. We've that's a great, great movie. Zebras in America much. is a huge fan of um, Holy Motors. Yeah, Leo Karash, you have an open invite to be on the show. Yeah, yeah please. And 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 Denis Levant, man, is is just one of the great actors. Oh, yeah, I still, it's it's interesting because yeah. I actually still think he's very underrated. Even in France, it's like even in like a certain circle, like in the art house circle, French art, yeah. But was, he's such a great physical actor. You would think that, like, I had I had this. So, so for those who don't know who Denis Levant is, as far as like an American film, he was the Charlie Chaplin impersonator in Harmony Corinne's yeah. Mr. Lonely. And when that came out, I knew like you know whatever Mr. Lonely was going to be playing at like AMC. Which is like the only but, Harmony Corinne movie that I really like. 
It's the only sense. one. That, it's the only one that I can, I can kind of watch. Personally. That and garbage I like all humpers. Of his movies, but I understand. Mm-hmm. Mr. Lonely was. That garbage humpers too. I never saw Trash that actually. Humpers. Trash humpers. Trash humpers. I never great. saw that. I think I think he doesn't like. Uh, you know what? Let me not <laughs> go there. Let me not go there on the air. No, but let me say something about Trash Humpers uh, too. But well, first let me just say about. Remember, Mr. We, we did go yeah. into Trash Humpers two episodes ago. Yeah, but I didn't say. But I didn't say that. But first of all, as far as Mr. Lonely goes, it still had that Harmony Corinne silliness. But it was like the first movie. Where it was like, oh, you matured because he hadn't made a movie in a while. With Trash Humpers, though, what he doesn't get credit for, because he exp- I saw that at the New York Film Festival in 2009, and this was still at the height of the found footage, like POV. There's all this crazy shit going on, but somehow I still have a camera. I'm still holding a camera to document it all. Harmony Corinne's rationale behind that movie was he was trying to challenge that, and the whole idea, that the whole point of Trash Humpers was it was a found VHS that someone found and just put in a VCR. Like, that movie was supposed to be, like, in the, you know, 90s, and it was a VHS, which is why it looks the way it does, and someone put it in a VCR and just came, what is this? So he was trying to, like... So years before people started making fun of, like, the paranormal activity, handheld POV camera movies, he was trying to do that in a weird way. But unfortunately, it's like, you don't get that from the movie. Yeah. Unfortunately, you you know, you have to explain it. And And I'm of the thought, like, you don't... You shouldn't have to study a thesis in order to understand or enjoy a movie. It my, should just be presented in front of you and it is what it My is biggest issue with conceptual art often is that the theory is so much more interesting than the actual art. Yeah. So I agree with you. Funny story, my good friend uh, directed Paranormal Activity 2 and 3. Oh, okay. Well, code, well wow. him, and, him and the person, Ariel Schulman, who him and his co-partner, something juiced, directed uh, Catfish and Nerve. He buys all the my catfish albums. movie, the yeah, the, the, and the show. Okay, okay, he's very successful. Okay. Oh, that is your fr- that's yeah. Right. They like catfish so much that they were like, "Why don't you make Paranormal Activity?" I didn't. I did not know they went on to do that. Also, wow. Wow. yeah. So, I'm not going to say anything too much about those movies. <laughs> of course, you know the entertainment. So, I want to tell you a funny story. Mm-hmm. So, did I ever tell you how I saw the movie El Topo? No. Okay. <laughs> so when we were living together. I was working at that bookstore. Yes, I remember this. At the height of my like depression and cattery, when you you never know who, uh, who's gonna come out of my door in the morning. That was a long time ago. Anyways, me and my friend got out of work and we were walking on the street and just saw this blank DVD on the street in a case. Wow. That just said DVD. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, we have to, we watch have to watch this. this. Yeah. And we go upstairs, and the guy had like a nice. He was, he had he had a nice entertainment system, and we put it on, and it's unsubtitled El Topo. Oh. I mean, that's that sounds like you you're like living in some weird film. That's something that something yeah. that happens in a very yeah. weird film. You know that, right? In a very psychedelic, maybe a Jodorowsky movie. Like you find the thing that says DVD, and then there's El Topo. Yeah, I also <laughs> was like, kind of. Doing a bunch of drugs at the mm-hmm. time, so the, there was that, mm-hmm. and we were just like, "What the fuck?" Because there's like the naked kid, and there's yeah. all this violence, and then I didn't even know that that was El Topo until like a year later when someone was like, oh, "Have you ever seen this movie El Topo?" And I was like, "I don't know." And then he started saying, "I was like, yo, this is this movie that I saw that I didn't even believe was real, yeah, because <laughs> I only knew of it through a DVD that said DVD <laughs> to the point when I tell people." That this is how I discovered it. They often don't believe me. Sure. Like I tried to tell the story to the rapper Edan. 
Edon, Edon, Edon. Yeah. who's mm-hmm. who's a huge Hodorowski fan, and I don't think he believed me, <laughs> but I believe in him. It is difficult to believe though, like when you really. And I do love lying, but not <laughs> like really. <laughs> but know. to me, that's a story. I don't think you can make up that story. I don't think. I don't think people are that. Like some people are that creative. I made up a story of about when I was young. I used to tell people that I made fun of Fred Durst to his face. To but me, that to, didn't but, to, but, but to me, that's more that that that, that, that that's more of a made up story style. Like, sure. Yeah, I I, uh, I, I dissed you know uh, uh, somebody to their no, face. But this, yeah, this no, story, totally. this other story that I wish was false. Was I was an asshole to Q-tip when I was like sixteen? Because I was I was you remember next to Tower Records there was that swap meet where you could buy cassettes. The Tower, which one? In, in, the in Tower Brooklyn? Records in the Village. In a bill. Oh. Yeah, no. that was the, that was featured in Hand and Her Sisters, which you put me onto. Yeah. Oh wow. There wow. was that swap meet where you could buy live cassettes. And oh, man, you just told oh. me I honestly forgot about that. I haven't thought about that in years. Yeah. Dude, I I was talking to you the other day. How I can't even watch Ghostbusters two without crying for this city. It's a little tough. Wow. It's it, it's actually Ghostbusters two is like one of the quintessential New York movies because you cover so much ground. Yeah, in Ghostbusters. So the yeah. story is like not even. I mean, the story is great. I like all the Ghostbusters, even the remake that like sexism destroyed. It's like not bad a movie, as bad of a movie as the sexist people thought it was. I have. I have an unbelievable... I have a story that only you two would appreciate. I was listening to a PMD solo album, which it's like, who other than me would... You know you know what I'm saying? His first one after he broke up? After he broke up, yeah, called Shady Business. Shady Business. You know, and he has this song called In The Zone, which I think is one of the most ahead of its time beats. And I was literally... I, I was listening to this song, and a few seats down on the Long Island Railroad, PMD was sitting there. Parrish Smith was sitting... I know, I know. So this was in the iPod era, so I'd go, I'd, I don't know what to do with myself, and I show him my iPod, and you know, this is a tiny screen, so he's just like, what? Like, who are you? Like, what are you, what? What are you showing me? And I realized, oh yeah, the screen's really small. So I, so I go closer, and he's still like, what? Like, kind of back up, and then he, and he finally sees, and he's like, oh shit, oh. And then he sees, and I'm like, yo, this beat's ahead of this time, EPMDs are my favorite groups, and he was like, oh, sure, and he was kind of like, sit down, let's talk, and then like, we sat and talked. And went to Penn Station together, and I just was, we were just talking. Like, that's amazing. I swear that happened. Yeah, no, I've, I've right had I've story. Because one, you know, EPMD being from Long Island, so they were, we were on the Long Island Railroad together. I'm listening to this random solo album that no, you know, it, it's all these pieces are just like you're making that up. Like that when I I just stopped <laughs> telling people because it just the pieces. Fit I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't think the PMD solo record sold a gazillion records. There was a reason behind that. Eric Sermon and Russell Simmons kind of blackballed him from radio playing a lot of stuff. And But yeah, but that's a whole other hip-hop podcast. There's also the time when um, Cool Keith tried to get Doc Strange to drive him to the Bronx. Oh, you know my cool... I told you my cool Keith yeah. story. I was just going to say, I was trying not to get super excited, but it really is one of the... Fu- it's one of those... <laughs> my, 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 my no. one of the great Sorry. stories that I tell other people about in Two Man, because I wish that it happened to me. It's I, like, I used okay. to love his com- his concerts where he would hand out, like, bagged, not-that-good fried chicken Wait, and juice cups. See, the one I went to, he would throw, like, unbagged, <laughs> he would toss it into the audience. And it wasn't like KFC, it was like, it was like yeah, homemade, like not-that-good. <laughs> But, like, your mom's not that good of a cooked fried chicken. Fair enough, yeah. yeah it wasn't, yeah, like, delicious. Yeah, that's true. Because cold fried chicken, I think, is a delight. It can be great. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. But this was, it was always bad in, like, juice cups that you'd get at summer camp or, like, uh, summer school. 
Yeah. If you were a bad kid. Yeah. So um, you're going to tell me... Your cool ki- my cool kid story. Oh, yeah. just real quick. So, Q-tip. We're at the swap meet. Right. And I see that he's buying, like, some live Miles Davis, like, fusion stuff, which I was into at the same time. And I was like, dude, you're one of my heroes. I can't believe that you like this this stuff, too. I was a really big fan of, Q- of Tribe Called Quest. And he was like, oh, what do you think about my new solo record? I was like, I'm a really big fan of Tribe Called Quest. <laughs> and I just feel really bad because in, in retrospect, his solo album, I think, is actually pretty good. But I wasn't ready. Amplified? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to take it in. I, I think I unfairly dismissed it is really what I'm saying. Yeah. And I felt, I, in retrospect, I feel really bad. And Q-Tip, you probably don't remember this because you're probably like doing awesome stuff and wearing leather pants somewhere. I'm sorry. <laughs> cool Keith. Cool Keith. Yeah, I oh, was... Oh, movies. Movies, movies, movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a movie podcast. Uh, I'll tell the Cool Keith story and then we can go to the movies. Uh, I was on um, 50th Street and about 7th Avenue and uh, I'm walking down the street and it's like, you know, not too many people on the street and I'm looking forward and I'm like, Oh, snap, it's Cool Keith. But I say it to myself. Like, I don't say it out loud. And I look at him, and he notices me looking at him, and he looks and he looks at me and says, yeah, yeah, it's me. And let's bring this back to movies, because a similar, which that, that story is amazing, and I told my friend Chris that story because he told me this story, and this is movie-related. Olivia Sayas has a... Uh, uh, an apartment in, in uh, like, near the Angelica, actually. He lives around that area. Well, not lives, but he has a place there. So, same thing, just like a cool key story. Chris, my friend Chris Wunderberg of the Pink Smoke, the side I write for, he saw Olivia Sayas and noticed him, and Olivia Sayas stopped and waited to be noticed and gave, like, a, like, yeah? But then Chris, my friend Chris is not about, like, hey, because he worked in, in, in a, he was a programmer at a theater where he would just like brush shoulders with Oliver Stone and Jonathan Demme like on a regular basis. So Olivia Sayas is just like small potatoes to him. And he's also just not that guy. So he just, it was this awkward moment of like they both froze and paused, but then he just kind of kept walking. And Olivia Sayas was kind of like disappointed, like, oh, <laughs> damn. So, and Olivia Sayas directs movies. And if we ever, we, it seems that we lost episode four. Uh huh. It, no. For the time being, it's it was recorded, it was edited. I put music on it. I put the intro. It is somewhere on the studio. It's it's on a computer in my grandmother's house in Queens. It is so somewhere, somewhere but just it. in case we never find it, I told my my Francis Ford Coppola story. Oh man, where I ran into him in front of B and H once, and I told him that um, Rumblefish was my favorite movie of all time, and he paused. He didn't know what to do with that. Because of the other movies that people normally tell him are their favorite. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. I, Unless like, we said that on episode five. I don't know. No, I think that was the episode. Haven't. No, because I remember telling you a story about how on uh, Antipop Consortium took a picture with this guy that wasn't Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> but they captured it. It was M. Saeed. And he was standing next to this guy. He's like, well, could we bumped into it? Heathrow, Francis Ford Coppola. And I just didn't, to this day, I just like... That's not, that's just like a guy, that's not Francis Ford Coppola, but I don't want to, you know. Yeah, I remember. Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, sort of like, <laughs> yeah. sort of like when uh, the old uh, rap club Southpaw was, was, uh, did a concert with, um, what's his, who's the guy from Third Base? You must search. Nice. Search. Mm-hmm. Oh, search. So search, search was on and Mikey Palms, the co-owner of Southpaw, pretended to be Pete Nice. 
because 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 he was like in Coopersville somewhere writing about baseball and forging uh, and forging uh, autographs, which is you know all about that, right? Yeah, yeah. And it created yeah. like a minor internet stir. Oh shit! That's it was uh, it was also on the way to Southpaw that that me and Mtume got uh, profiled by the police. Was it was it that wow. night? No, on our way to a Karis One Karis One concert, right? Yeah, I did a. I performed for also another history. I, I unofficial DJ for him, him to me to some degree. I've scratched on his music and whatnot. We did a show at Southpaw. It was uh, we opened. It was nice and smooth in Camp Low. That's right. That was yes. a great show. That was a great yeah. show. Yeah. yeah, that yeah. was like that was my local bar when I lived South in Park yeah, Slope in my I, life. I saw. I've seen the Side Bay perform there. I've seen. Um, I can't even think now, but just like, yeah, that, that was a great place yeah. to go. I saw so many great shows. I, I went to the Black Moon show there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I miss South Pole. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to walk down Fifth Avenue and see what it is now. Agreed. There's yeah. also just like not in Brooklyn a club of that size no. as open to rap acts. Yeah. Because there's lots of clubs and there's a couple of clubs of smaller sizes that are totally cool with, with, with rap acts. But South Pole was just like, you yeah. you know you like I saw I saw Kendrick Lamar there when he was K Dot. Wow. Yeah, that, that was like his first New York show, wasn't it? Yeah, because because okay. as they said at, at Southpaw, you you showed up there on your way up and on your way down. <laughs> you know, which goes back to the nice and smooth and camp. Uh, they were past. <laughs> I think they were. I think they've plateaued. Like nice and smooth, as like a commodifiable rap group. Mm-hmm. That was. 30 years ago. 30? 20. 20 something. 20 something. Yeah, because Dwick was 93. Okay, so that's 20, 24 years ago. And Frank Knight doing stuff on all the beat nuts stuff made it. And that was late 90s, so you know. I'm just saying, like, like, I'm not going to name bands, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) We understand. Yeah, we get it. Oh, we get it. I'll tell you the... Lead singer of the Lemonheads, not the nicest guy in the world. I'll tell you that much. Um, Shots fired. Yeah, because yeah, right. Evan Dando is listening to Zebras <laughs> in America. I have You know what, Evan Dando? If you're listening to, because you probably have a have a bug that tells you when your name. Come to the show. Let's talk about movies. You like movies? Everyone likes movies. You, we, the best part of living with you, aside from like getting advice and becoming adults, was. Uh, you putting me onto movies, and me trying to make you like Time Cop too. Yeah, you see, <laughs> you see, Scotty, Scotty, um, has this <laughs> eternal quest to get me to respect Time Cop two. No, not 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 the Van Damme version of Time Cop. The first no, time, time Cop two is time better Cop than Time 2. Cop one. <laughs> I mean, we could have that debate because Time Cop one really isn't very good. Uh, and I'm a Van Damme fan. Trust me, Bloodsport. Yeah, we all are. We all are. Me and Marcus oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. we, speaking, we talk about speaking Bloodsport. Speaking of Van Damme, uh huh. Sensate season two just came out, uh-huh. and it was so good. I haven't seen it. It's I haven't a, seen the season season one. Oh, it's. The, uh, are we are, are we JCVD fans? Yes. yes. We loved. Yes. Did, did we watch we it together? We watched it together, and we were losing our minds because yeah. I was like. How Jean Claude Van Damme make like the best French film? See, of I didn't the past know. I years. went to the Angelica specifically to see some. This was 2008 to see something else, 
and I saw that, and I was like, wait, what? What is this? Just I didn't see a trailer, so I for, I don't even to this day I don't remember what I went to go see, but I ended up going to see JCVD. I was like, how's this Jean Claude Van Damme movie playing at the Angelica? What is yeah. this about? I have to see it, and then it was just one of those like it was quietly universally liked by everybody. Yeah. It's one of those movies where I don't know anyone who's I know seen a couple it people that dislikes it. Really? Yeah, and I'm just oh, like your hater. I, I think it's a, I think it's a stretch for some people, like for them to. Like I remember, like my my girlfriend. My girlfriend's a big, like, like blood sport, like Canon films nice. fan. Nice. And I said to her, I was like, we have to watch JCVD. She was like, and she she was even kind of like, like okay, let's check it out. You know, she probably won't admit it, but she was like, okay. And by the middle of it, when he's doing that crane monologue, oh my god, she's completely just like, oh my god. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think it's hard for some people because he actually his acting is quite great in that movie. Yeah. It's. I mean, yeah. that crane monologue is one of the best models of the last twenty years. I can't sure. wait. No one. He's says. actually like as an actor, not as a physical. His physical stuff is way too yeah exaggerated in his face, but his movement is great. As an actual actor, he's not bad. Not bad at all. The remake of Kickboxer, which we, which we give glowing reviews to. I didn't see it in the yeah. episode that should be released a week before this one. Okay. I we both loved it. I got, I'm, I'm gonna check it out. Well, love it is strong. Batista, love, right? love, yeah. love, love is strong, but I liked uh-huh. it a lot. Uh-huh. Batista was good in it, but he was really good in Guardians of the Galaxy too. I need mm-hmm. to see it, and I get a lot. I remember. I love the fact that I can kind of semi-school people because trust me, there's plenty of like whitewashing of Asian roles going on. So people get mad because a lot of people don't know that Dave Batista's half Filipino. So like, how's this white guy? But I was like, ah, his his mm-hmm. mom, his, one of his moms, he's. One of his moms is Filipino. I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, he's half Asian, so he, he can do that role. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cool because, you know. Have you guys watched Into the Badlands? I haven't seen the You've show told yet. Me about, no, I've I been wanting to watch cable. it. It's, I don't have it's, AMC, it's so. dope. Yeah. The first season's on Netflix. Yeah, okay. I just saw. I'm gonna it's, look at it. The action is really good. The story has, this. You know, they they're they're in for the action, mm-hmm. so the story has some working onto it, but like, it's nice to have. Like uh, uh, action show where the main character is Asian, and there's awesome action. Like every episode, there's really good fighting, wow. which is dope. Good. Um, before you guys put me on you to Claire Denis, which mm-hmm. was like a revolution revelation this year. Wow. Like, I, like I see I, my DVD sitting over there. I, I'm getting yeah. to them. Yeah. You know, I really yeah. I feel like sort of. I think I've said this before, but I, like I feel. I want to punch you guys on some Arsenio Hall shit for not telling me this cheese was so good <laughs> with, with Claire Denis. Because, yeah. like, like, every movie I've seen, I've, I've at least liked a lot. And before, before I, I, I saw that movie, I thought, like, the best two, like, French-language films of the past ten years was JCVD and The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which are so... Which are both, like, mm-hmm. not... Like, one is, one is um, I think, made in Belgium... And one's by an American director who I have huge problems with sometimes. Uh, what's his name? Oh, Julian Schnabel. Yeah. Artist yeah, I don't. I, I can't really was get portrayed the by Gary Oldman in the uh, Basquiat. That movie. was very generous of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah he but then Julian Schnabel directed the yes, movie. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So it was very generous of him to cast himself as Gary Oldman. Yeah. And, yeah, 
That imagine, I, I do like to imagine what Diamond Bell and Butterfly would have been like because Johnny Depp was supposed to originally play that role. Oh, he was tied up in Car- Pirates of the Caribbean stuff, so it went to uh, Matt, Matteo Almorea, however you say his Who name. did a great? That's a really it's a it's one of the better French films in a long time. It's very good. Sure. And I'm glad because I enjoyed the pir- the first three Pirates of the Caribbean films. I did a for weird, what they are. I didn't see the second one. I saw the first and the third. I don't know why. But, uh, yeah. I liked the first one. Mm-hmm. It's just fun. Yeah. Right. It's popcorn. Yeah, I like the first one. I can't remember... I can't, I, the thing is, I can't remember them. No, yeah, it's kind of like... It's kind of like after the first Bourne movie, they all... They all kind of, like, mesh. And they're all fun. Yeah. Even the one with Hawkeye. Hold on. You know, see, it's interesting you say that. I wasn't on board with the first Bourne movie. Really? But then the second... From the second one on, I was like, oh, okay, these are, like... These are what they are. They're all, like, interchangeable... But I remember, like, I hate to be that guy because this was, like, its main criticism. It was a little boring. I just, like, I like Doug Liman. Doug Liman, for those who don't know, he directed Go. He directed um, Swingers. And then, so to find out he was doing a Bourne movie, it was kind of like, I don't really know about this. But when Paul Greengrass took him over, that's when I, like, this guy, he's an action director. He knows what he's doing, you know. And the fight scene in the third Bourne movie, like, the, those movies themselves or whatever, but when he fought the Algerian guy, I yeah, think that, that's that was... a really great scene. There's this, because there's this one particular moment where they're fighting and Bourne takes his hand and twists it one way so to get out of the hole yeah. he does like a flip just to get out of it and it's just a really great yeah I, I appreciated the Bourne movies because like that was definitely in a time where I was really down on action movies I was like super down on action movies mm-hmm. and I remember like someone was like hey let's go see the Bourne and I was like uh, okay at a, right. at a certain point action movies stopped trying to be like both good movies and good action exactly so when when the two are mixed, it's mm-hmm. really nice. Yeah, I I haven't liked the reboot. I, I the I, I didn't like the Jeremy Renner one and the one, but the, the my favorite was Skyfall. Oh, you're a bigger. See, you're a bigger fan of like uh, of uh, of uh, <laughs> that stuff than me. But Skyfall is a Bourne movie, not a Bond movie. <laughs> you're so right. <laughs> it's it yeah. It's yeah. like the it's best Bourne. Bond That's movie. the weirdest part of it's it. It's a right? Bond movie with Javier Bardem trying to do Heath Ledger's Joker. To add to, to make yep. it even more, content. it was fire though. And but no, that, that's what I was gonna say. And I know my buddy John Cribbs, also the Pink Smokies listener, right now he's gonna be very upset because he's an old school Bond. He hates the new Bond movies. But I enjoyed Skyfall. I really did. I thought there's all these little moments, like where Javier Bardem when he takes his you know jaw out and then he puts it back in. He does this little giggle yeah. to himself. I'm like, see, it's it's little shit like that, like supervillain stuff where you just giggle to yourself. Um, I also like that. Skyfall. I did. I liked Sky. That was my favorite of those. I liked that Sean Connery left the Bond films to do Zardos. Yeah. <laughs> that that was that was like that was what he chose. Greatest movie, greatest worst movie costume ever. <laughs> I, I don't even think what it's worse. That? It's just it's just wild. Yeah. It's a lot of a lot of package, a lot of yeah. gun. Yeah. A lot of ponytail. Yeah. Um. I think that was the follow up to Excalibur. Oh, John Borman. Yeah. Was it? I, I guess it would have to have been, because Excalibur, that was like, that was seven. I, I don't remember, but I... I, I, I like both right. of those movies. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, going back to just Skyfall for a second, though, I do, um, my only criticism, Skyfall, there was this period in 2012 where in all these movies, like, supervillains were, there were these scenarios in movies oh, where the supervillains were intentionally setting up something so they get captured, only to break out of jail, like, like, Bane... And that opening plane scene of uh, the, the best Batman, Batman movie. movie. Uh, 
We'll have to. We'll, we'll get into that in another episode. Or like in Skyfall, when Harvey Birdman. We'll talk gets about arrested. it on the on the Z, on the the uh, Freddy Got Finger episode. episode. Absolutely. Where when you see the final result and the villain gets kidnapped and then it's like he breaks out. It's like if that's all you didn't have to do all that. Like that's what you need. Like like when Heath Ledger gets kidnapped and he's in prison. And he expl- it's like you could have just bypassed all of that. Like I don't I don't get it. But that whatever. Yeah, I really couldn't If films take... were logical, they wouldn't be great. Sure. Yeah. But also, sure. it's like, to me, it's like when, you, when you're, 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 you're being, like, completely pointless sometimes. Like, the Bardem thing, and I like, I like Javier Bardem, but I think after um, No Country, yeah, they, were just, they were just like, all right, we mm-hmm. just want a No Country thing, but, like, for an action movie. Yeah. And, like, that was, like, his direction. And and it gets to the point where even where the only reason why I like uh, the dark uh, the, the 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 Bane character because so Tom Hardy to me is probably one of my favorite actors working right now. Yes, yeah, I like and it, Bane. I like. But, that. but the thing about it is, I totally think he was laughing at that movie the whole time he was doing it. <laughs> yeah, but it was just so... like the Revenant. I mean, I think Tom Hardy, like when you watch him in interviews, man, there, there is an air to him that he kind of yeah. understands what sure. this whole Hollywood thing is, yeah. and that there's a if he was probably a bit more of a. Of a, of a vocal a-hole, he probably would be like uh, like Brando and start saying things. Because sure. there's a weird element to it. When Who knows? He's, he's, got, he's still in the I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so sticky. With... It's like, yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah. and I thought, I think it's, that, that actually, Bane is quite fun. Yeah. <laughs> but my, one, my one criticism, I would have liked, just from a realistic standpoint, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a pro wrestling guy, and Bane's back, the real Bane, he was a pro wrestler, because the whole mask is rooted in uh, the luchador, the Mexican uh, luchador style. So I always figured from a frame, the, the only realistic person who could embody Bane, I think, was Brock Lesnar. Yeah. I think it brought, but Tom Hardy has the voice. And you would have the mask over Brock Lesnar. And if you just had Bane doing the voice and all the time, I think that would have been great. Yeah. Bane still, I mean, Tom Hardy still did a great job. But yeah. I think from a physical standpoint, Brock Lesnar would have killed it. So. What do you think Brock Lesnar is doing right now? Just sitting around thinking about how awesome he is and how he dislikes people and just doesn't want to be bothered with human beings. But at the same time, how great and manly and awesome he is. And how he's just pimping WWE for all this money for making a few appearances a year. That's literally what he's doing right now. Do you think that the individual is being liquidated without trace? And that's an over-simplematic and over-optimistic view? Whoa, say that again? (laughs) I just blindly opened up to... Uh, yeah, I saw you picked that book up earlier, and I was like, what, what's... Oh, Minima Moralia by Theodore Adorno. Are you uh, actually actively reading this, or is this like this lays in your apartment? I've, I mean, I, I don't have books to like show off, because one, all of the books I read are awesome, and two, I don't like people over. Right. Sure. So, like, the idea of me having like books to show off, all of my books are show off. Did I did I mention to you that I've read Infinite Jest? No, no, you never mentioned that to me. Well, I have. <laughs> I read Infinite Jest. I'm surprised I haven't told you. You told us now on yeah, the podcast. On a podcast, no, because like the thing is, like if you're a man that's read Infinite Jest, you have to tell everybody you've read Infinite Jest. I've never read Infinite Jest. You don't need to. I also read Twenty Six Sixty Six by Roberto Bolaño. That was a great book. I read Gone Girl after I saw the movie, and I felt like such a fraud because it was like I saw Gone Girl opening weekend, and I read it on the train like Monday when people were still reading. And I remember looking up and seeing all these other people reading, reading it. it. But I had to read it because I had to write about it. I, it was this thing 
where this thing I had to write where it was like, you see the movie, then you read the book, and then you write about it. So I had a reason. It wasn't just to be seen like so many other people. The My very pretty older neurologist today told me that I had to read Girl on the Train. Oh, I, I saw the movie. It was so bad. Yeah, I didn't even bother. She said, I saw it on a plane. And it was, oh. it, was, it, it, it was really sad because I was like, if this movie was made in like the 50s, it would have been absolutely incredible. Yeah. I was also, really upset, actually. I think it, it suffered from the fact that people just thought it was like Gone Girl 2, Secret of the Ooze. Totally. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Gone Girler. Gone Girler. <laughs> Goner Girl. More Gone. More, more Girl. More Gone. More Gone Girl. More Girl, More Gone. Yeah. Which sounds like a Drake album. It does. What do you think Drake's doing right now? I think it's maybe similarly the same to what Brock Lesnar doing. No, seeing, seeing how manly awesome he is. Answer, but I see. I don't. I feel like he's curled up like on a couch in a blanket, like watching uh, reruns of Twenty Four. Like curled up in a blanket with a cup of hot chocolate, like blowing into it and watching like Keeper Sutherland texting a really like sexy pop star. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Do you think Drake sends Rihanna cool memes? Not I think he sends her really corny memes. Like, who do you think the famous person that sends the best memes to their friends? I bet. Besides from Val Kilmer. I don't know how... So, yeah. I feel like Schoolboy Q sends all his rap friends, like, the best memes. Like, he'll text Danny Brown or he'll text Kendrick or, or, uh, or someone, like, really funny shit. Redman? I think... Oh! Redman sends great memes. And Reston Price, I bet Sean Price <laughs> sent amazing yeah. memes Yeah, he was friends. he was a very funny Twitter guy. <laughs> he was really hilarious. Have, have either of you listened to his his official Euro Droog, his, his official album came out? No, I haven't, I haven't listened to it. Few, like, no, but my... My driving instructor, because I'm so New York that I'm 35 and don't know how to drive. In fact, I'm so New York that I'm 34, but I said I'm 35. <laughs> um, so I, I have a driving instructor, mm-hmm. and I was doing real bad until I started talking about rap music in oh, some wow. sort of comparison, because he was like, park it nice and smooth. And I was like, oh, like, like you know, like the, the rap group. group. And he thought I was talking about CL Smooth. I'm like, no. And he Same was like... Era, and he was like, oh, I went to junior high school with your old Drew. And I was like, Whoa. I really was hoping that that was Nas rapping about, you know, trans people and, and gefilte fish. <laughs> no, but I was, there's a skit on it where he, him and Sean Price were buddies. And there's a skit on it where it's just uh, a voice message that Sean Price left him. And you can tell, you know. Oh, wow. I can tell. I was actually in a, in a studio session with Sean Price a long time ago that my buddy was working on, and the whole time he was just cracking jokes on me. But it's like because it's Sean Price, you don't. It's like let me not say anything, and it is kind of funny. But it was just all day, and then I think I don't. He definitely. I don't think he felt bad. But by the end of the session, he was leaving. He was saying goodbye to everybody, and he saw me, and he was just he he just immediately he was just like oh yo like he just like oh yeah you uh, I'm sorry it was kind of like I'm I'm sorry for giving me such a hard time and he just kind of left but it was a Sean Price story. Yeah, I have a Sean Price movie related story with my Carlitos way. I was with you. Uh, I was there. Scribble Jam. Right? Yes, you yeah. were there with me at Scribble there. Jam for yeah, that. Scribble yeah. Jam. Scribble Jam. Yeah. Some people could say that jam. I'm a little man. Yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Scribble Jam. Hibbity-dibbity-flippity. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, story. Oh, story. That's yeah. right, yeah. Sorry. No, um, so yeah, I, I used to see a steal from uh, Smith & Wesson, Coco Brothers, uh, near my uh, apartment. I think his family lives over there, near where we used to live. Yeah. You see him over there all the time. And I go out to Scribble, and he didn't know I was a rapper. I, scribble, I think Steel would always give me pounds because I was in Carlito's way, Rise to Power. So I'm over there, right? And Steel goes, yo, like, yo, what's up? What, you, what, are, you, what are you doing over here in Cincinnati, man? It's Scribble Jam. I was like, oh, you know, I make rap. He was like, cool. He goes, yo, I got I to gotta call Sean up. Sean! And I was like, I'm about to be Sean Price, oh, right? Like your boot camp. Show yeah, up. Sean yeah. Price, because they were, they were, a boot camp was, was headlining, especially Sean Price was headlining. And he's like, yo, dude, you recognize this dude? You recognize this guy? And he was, and Sean Price kind of looked at me. He was like, what, what? He says, that's the dude, the little brother, Reggie, from Carlitos. Where he goes, no, not that, dog. And he came over and he gave me a massive pound because of it. And it was cool, you know. And that, and that same, and minutes after that, I took a picture with Sean Price and uh, Tash from The Alcoholics on my little flip phone. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, that Tash song with Andre 3000 is great. Smoke Fest. What is that? On Tash solo, right? No, it's on someone else's, some other guy. It's a what great song. It's a great song. Some rapper who's wow. obviously not some rapper. I'm going to find out your name. Don't get upset at me if you're listening to this. Yeah. I have memory issues. I've had a headache for 12 weeks. <laughs> Forgive me. Um, That's amazing. I remember... When we used to live together, around the corner was Wingate High School, where they would play, they would do, like, in the summer, these concerts with, like, like the Commodores without Lionel Richie type shit. Like, Boys to Men. Mm-hmm. Like, stuff that was really for, like, the 30 to 50-year-old black woman demographic. Very popular. And we lived next to what a very infamous New York concert. At that yep. Wingate, yeah, the Lauren, the the very infamous Lauren Hill concert, uh, where she came super late and trolled people and with trolled like people Afro punk, Afro pop covers of her hits. Yeah, and like her voice was horrible. It was it was actually like one of the low moments for her career. But, and, Honestly, and if, started... if if Twitter was around when she did that show, it'd have been worse for her. No, I don't know. I think Here's... it would have been like there's like sort of like a like a sort of. Zen beauty to it. I love Lauren Hill and everything. I love Lauren Hill too, but I was, I was, I, I wasn't as harsh. But people, people were very like angry. No, but it's I was just gonna say which which Lauren Hill concert where she didn't show up on time because that became yeah. a trend. And Talib Kweli somehow became her de facto defender. I know. Talib Kweli, so I have to unfollow Talib. and follow him sometimes because it's like, don't you have? It's like it has to be exhausting arguing with hundreds of people. A Actually, day, on but like on okay. Hannibal Burris's very excellent Handsome Rambler podcast. He had to live Kweli on there. He was like, I had to unfollow you because you're always arguing with people. Yeah, but he, he would stand up. He would defend Lauren Hill. Like, people would complain. Someone like, needs I can't to. Believe. No, they don't because, like, show up on time. I understand the whole, like, bitching and moaning, but at the same time, if you pay for a ticket price and you don't show up or you show up hours late, and also, if you have nothing to do with it, mind your business. Like, I understand he loved Lauren Hill. He made that song dedicated to her and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but, ben, but his rationale funny for his story. Was like, there was nothing that said she had to show up on time. It's for like, the Lauren, that Lauren Hill like, song, he sampled Ben Queller, mm-hmm. and Ben Queller was really mad because he didn't clear it. Oh, wow. wow. He, was, he was upset. Wow. But, like, you know... Uh, white people have been stealing black music for 50 years, so... Eh, deal with it. Deal with it. No, probably longer than 50 years. M- much it's longer funny, than 50 speaking years. Of, <laughs> speaking similar in that, 
you know, Talib Kweli recently had a beef with uh, Diabolic, uh, the rapper from Long Island, and he made an off-color line about the Confederate flag, and it just, like, in a battle rap, you just don't do that. So I tweeted at him, and I was just like, you know, you, you, I think you, you got a little too comfortable when you're dissing a black, you're white, you're dissing a black rapper with a Confederate flag line. Like, that's just, you don't do that. So then he tweeted back at me. He was just like, you obviously don't know hip-hop. You shouldn't listen to hip-hop. So my response was, well, okay, I'll just start with you. And then I screenshot, like, a delete swipe of his music on my phone. <laughs> and that was the last Snarky Marcus. And also, also I mean, he snarky. totally alley-ooped me. For, I mean, yeah. he snarky. He snarky. Snarky Marky. Snarky Marky. He gave me the Snarky Marky. Also, because, like, it's, <laughs> it's, for it. it's funny because, like, you're a super rap nerd. I very much am. This is a compliment. This this yeah, is sure. not a rap blog podcast, no. but we talk a lot about it. So I believe that you actually had Diabolic's music <laughs> on your iPod. I did. So I it was probably it. a huge blow. I'm not dissing Diabolic, but people that still like follow him, you know, yeah, you shouldn't, you know. Also, I think it's like really like assuming people know stuff about rap, but this is all side stuff. Your being in Carlito's way would get us to skip the line at Wingate. That's why I brought it up. This is true. It oh, did. Shit. It did. Wow. It did. I, 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 we were. Um, it's amazing how much that that movie actually gives gives me recognition. I I thought we were gonna be late and like not really be able to be able to get in. Yeah. To be honest with you, and it was a it was a couple of us. My friend was also there with us. My, my friend Akria, and this guy goes, "Hey man, you were in uh, Carlito's Way: Rise to Power." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." He goes. Come on this way. I mean, we bypassed a whole lot of people. Shit. Wow. And we, we, were, we were pretty up close. We were yeah. pretty much up close. Wow. That's a movie that, like, yeah, it had a large reach. I'm not sure they expected people to like it as much as they did when it came out. Well, there was a big thing. Like, they, I, I think um, when the film was being made... The the people who were producing, I mean, it was produced by Martin Bregman. If people don't know who Martin Bregman is, I mean, like Martin Bregman's a legend. Martin Bregman was Al Pacino's manager, lead producer. I mean, everything from Dog Day to Scarface to Serpico was all produced by him. And um, so this kind of one I like, and Carl and Carl actually Carlito's Way, the original one, was the last Al Pacino Martin Bregman production. Uh, Why do you think people never got mad that like? He got so famous like playing uh, Hispanic people when he wasn't. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Carlitos, but yeah, I, I, it's it's one of the more accepted like. It's like soothers. It's like never. I you know I talk you know I talked to Edwin Torres about this actually the guy who wrote Carlitos Way, mm. and he told me that it's you know you know there's a line in the original Carlitos Way where he says um, when I first saw him I thought he was Italian, yeah. right? It actually is in the book. There's like a part of a joke about Carlito is that he um, he was one of these Latinos who was trying to look Italian, you know, and trying to act Italian. It's kind of like a joke about like Puerto Ricans who try to just like the dude hanging with the homeboys who try to that, yeah wow. who try who try to that's cross deep, over. I just don't I don't think I don't think the film really totally morphed in morphed into that. Now I think still though nowadays if that if, Carl, if the original Carlitos it was made right now it'd be a major issue like it'd be a major issue. But uh, but I don't even like but. But and it Scarface. would be it would be a major issue that nothing would I don't think anyone would do anything about it. Because That's another point. Like yeah. people on social media and it like would like us we'd be annoyed. It would still get made. Like that Nina Simone movie the, came out last year. Yeah. Ghost in the Shell came out a couple months ago. Yeah, you know, yeah. 
Yeah. There's another... There, there's plenty of roles, but, like, another role that doesn't get a lot of... The most disrespectful shit ever, and I love Willem Dafoe, but when he played the Mexican guy in the sequel to Once Upon a Time in, to De- Desperado, yeah. in a Mexican film, all these Mexicans around... And the director's this, Mexican. Like, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, a whole cast of, of, of Latinos... Of all that's a weird ass have, movie like, too. Yeah, it was oh, very yeah. strange. Well, because first of all, the, the the thing, the messed up thing about that movie is between Desperado and Once Upon a, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, there's this whole story that happened that they condense in two minutes that were the audience are just supposed to know. Yeah, like, I love shit. that shit. No, I don't. Well, you know, not in that particular case. I'm an absurdist. It was just overloaded with like. We're going to throw Johnny Depp in. There's this new up-and-coming actress named uh, Eva Mendez that we're going to put in. We're going to throw in Willem Dafoe. It was just way too much. And then, Talk about charming eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. And that brings it back to Holy Motors because she's randomly in that and in a really great scene in, in Holy Motors. But I also, it's weird how, like, Cheech Marin was in Desperado. He gets killed, but then he plays a different character in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. It's just, yeah. It's a very just random a, it's movie. A, yeah, it's a weird movie. Do you yeah. what's what's on your horizon? As far as directing, uh, I am. What's fever- next for him? To I'm begin? feverishly trying to finish uh, a screenplay. Um, I actually have a little deadline to finish a first draft. It actually is accelerated now because I might send it to a um, a certain center to possibly join it. You know, if they like it. Um, the script mall. Yeah, one of those. I just want to say what it is. I understand. Yeah. It's all good. Um, just how, like, like I started calling Minton Marimino, Minton <laughs> Marimino. Yeah. Shout out to Martin Kessler. He's the only guy that, like, shouted that out. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, he gets me. But, yeah, I'm, I'm feverishly trying to finish finish that. Um, and that that's what I want to be my next project. I mean, you know... It's interesting. Like, I, I do want to shoot something. I shot a music video, actually. That's, that should be coming out next month, too. Oh, a new music from, video. From my homie, Ill Spoken. I did, I did a video oh, for dope. him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Dope. Um, but by the time this The loser has to jump out, off the roof. Actually, it might be out when this comes out. I don't know. They, they might. Um, we'll see. But, um, yeah, you know. But I want to shoot more stuff. I just, you know, I work too much. But yeah, trying to finish this podcast. And, I'm mean, a podcast. Um, no, we're almost finishing yeah. this podcast. Uh, we are. You did it. You did a great job on the podcast. But um, but almost trying to finish, finish, finish the script and then, you know, go into the wild world of financing, you know, and that's the next, that's kind of the next step of independent film financing. I, I, I do have to energize. My th- I just hope, you know, after this whole festival circuit, folks get a chance to see Whiteface. Um, unfortunately, no one will have the experience I did. I read the script. You sent me the script to Whiteface, you know, over a year before you made it. And I remember the one scene that stuck out to me. There's a scene in Whiteface where you're in a club. And this was, you know, I'm reading the script. So I'm just like, and I'm envisioning. It was very weird. I'm like, I'm envisioning how the scene would play out in my head. And then when I finally saw it, I was just like, yo, that's, this is literally how I imagined it, like, being, like, and it was, so it was very weird. Like That's seeing awesome. it, you know, act it out. And I also say too that like this is one of the few films where like I can say, even if it was subconscious, it reminded me not that the story itself was a little different, but in terms of just style, execution and just like um mission statement, it reminds me of guys like Charles Lane and Wendell B. Harris, who I know you're you know a big fan of Wendell B. Harris. And these are two filmmakers who I think in terms of the black film canon, for some weird reason are just be trying to slowly being erased. Yeah. Um Charles Lane, for those who don't know, he's a he's a director. He was the kind of 
he's the kind of Chris Rock lookalike guy in Posse. He was like the Billy Zane servant in Posse, but he's a filmmaker too. Listen to he Billy was, Zane. He's a smart um, guy. Billy Zane is awesome. And I just sidewalk feel like, stories. Um, side, exactly. Si, si, uh, sidewalk stories ahead of its time, but also like pulled back from the past for like in, in, in inspiration. I just think that it's this whole like. It gets a little redundant with Ava DuVernay, Spike Lee, Ava DuVernay, Spike Lee, and I just think like guys like Charles Lane and when when Lee Harris are very important, and I think to some degree they kind of even a Julie Dash also like they all kind of like it's that artistic side that guys like uh, John Singleton or Spike Lee couldn't really tap into. I mean Spike Lee himself, I feel like is a little, was a little threatened by them and like really downplayed. He's he, totally said some kind of dismissive, disrespectful things towards, like, Wendell B. Harrison and Julie Dash in the past. So it's nice to see a movie like Whiteface that draws upon, like, unsung heroes. And know, it's also, it's, it's abstract, and it's yes. weird, yes. and it's avant-garde. Well, yeah. And as, a, as your friend and collaborator, it's just been really nice to see you grow. Thank you, man. Yeah. Like, the seeing, like, the dailies of Spit and then seeing the dailies of Whiteface, I knew immediately, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. He, you jumped tears quickly. Thank you. Like I in between, that. like you figured it out. Thank you. I remember texting you like three years ago. You just need to start making movies so I can score them. Yeah. And you were like, actually, I'm 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 writing something. Yeah, both of you guys. I mean, you know, I was when I when I I, I hedged on making movies for for many years. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do it, and uh, both of you guys were very like encouraging me to do it, you know, on... Because on, we're terrible people. Yeah, I know. Now you've put Horrible this friends. albatross on my life. Yeah. Look, you know, you know, you know what the... I made up this joke last week. You know what the, the psychiatrist said to the bird watcher? What? Sometimes you have to live with egrets. <laughs> <laughs> so we started you down this road of, like, disappointment and financing, yeah. and do you think capitalism will eat itself? Uh, it probably will eat us first. As it, as, it, as it eats us, as it, as it eats itself. Do you think Donald Trump is a good president? I think Donald Trump is an American president. He's like so American. It's, he is it's the so most. He is he the most it, American America president. Got what it asked for. Yeah. Do you think if Do you think if like the the film system didn't actively try to shush idiocracy, maybe it would have made a difference. The film? Yeah. Totally. The idiocracy, which is, welcome to Walmart, I love you. That's yeah. A, yeah. Great totally. Do you, do you like money? I, think, I like money. I think yeah. movies can make a difference. Hey, man, uh, Kislowski's uh, a short film about killing ended the death penalty in Poland. That's dope. Hey, Except man. they still hate Jews. Errol Morris, Errol Morris' Thin Red Line got a guy off a of death row. You yeah. know what I mean? The Dardane brothers made Rosetta, and it changed the uh, child labor laws Man. in Belgium. Yeah. So I, just, I, just, I, just, I just watched Rosetta. I just Rosetta. said that the, really the Polish people hate Jews, which is sort of true, but m- there's more righteous Gentiles that come out of Poland than out of every country. They didn't like Jews, but they didn't want them to be systematically murdered. Because you can like someone. You can dislike someone yeah. and not want them to die. This is a film you oh, should sure, see. Sure. This is a film you should see. The Hourglass Sanatorium. It's not a documentary. Oh, no. Hourglass Sanatorium. Yeah. And it's crazy because... Po- Polish it, film. The, yeah, Bam did... two. This was two years ago. Bam did a... Haas. Did, did yeah. a um, What's Wojciech it called? Haas. The Hourglass Sanatorium. This, this, that's, this, not this, that, that's not that movie where it's like a bunch of deaf people at a, like a boarding school? No. No, this is definitely Have you all that. seen that movie? No. Mm-hmm. No. There's like this Prague movie where there's these deaf people at boarding school and there's no subtitles? No. Wow. I need to see it. Yo, you, you want to know what? To bring it full circle. What's that movie our, called? Hourglass, Hourglass Sanatorium. Sanatorium. 
is it's 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 a step further. It's it's from the school of Yodorovsky, but just eat a slightly more abstract. Yeah, and it, more it, and more like spiritual. It it would make an interesting double feature with with El Topo, to be quite yeah. honest. I've got some, but some, there's yeah. there's definitely a lot of accountability in the Hourglass Sanatorium of Eastern Europeans' um, treatment of Jews and Jewish culture. Yep, um, there's a lot of really really powerful power. I mean, so so I saw it at BAM um, mm-hmm. when it when it showed. I never heard of it, but then I, I just saw like a small preview of it. I was like, to watch this movie mm-hmm. and I, when that movie was over I was like oh my god you never, you, you never recommended me a movie I disliked <sighs> and I've never recommended you a movie you liked <laughs> that's still not true you, you know I'm sorry you guys recommended me It Felt Like Love and I absolutely adored It Felt yeah. Like Love yeah I thought it, it, felt, it felt like love is one of the yeah. best American films of the decade easily easily easily, easily. by the way Eliza Skinner liked our um podcast about her movie because i know through her husband who edited it felt like love scott cummings he's also a filmmaker i met him at a party years ago and since then we've been cool actually strange story when i came out of seeing it felt like love at ifc center i bumped into him so the editor of the movie that I just came out he was seeing another movie but um she it'd be she, weird she if he was just watching episode. all the showings of the movie he edited right, that, <laughs> well that happened first of all malkovich when, malkovich when, malkovich when we went to go see uh, antichrist me and my fiance Sharon, we sat behind uh, Willem Dafoe, Whoa. and then I didn't just notice him. His penis while watching the movie. <laughs> so, um, um, and Sharon noticed it, and she's like, "Is that Willem Dafoe?" And she, I'm all with certain, not everyone. Like, I, I like to watch movies and, when and I cut nothing, my penis. But with certain people, I want to take a picture, and I ended up taking a picture. And she was like, "Is that Willem Dafoe?" And right the second that she said, "Just don't bother him, leave him alone," and of but course, he's I had to take leader. a picture with him. So, yeah. Watching yourself in a movie. So she liked. She listened to our episode. Yes. I love her. She's she's a treasure. She's a Brooklyn treasure. She um because she I wrote a review a semi lengthy review about it when it first came out. I remember. I think it was the next day I saw it and I was like, oh, I need to because Todd Solon, filmmaker Todd Solon, brought up a very good point. He said for some reason. With youth on film, for some reason, it's always elementary school and then it jumps to high school. For some reason, that junior high always gets... And for those who don't... Todd Solon's directed Welcome to the Dollhouse, which is probably one of the most important mm-hmm. junior high movies ever. It's like, for some reason, junior high always gets like forgotten about. It's like you have this cutesy period in elementary school, and then you have this transitioning period to adulthood adulthood from high school. But for some reason, middle school, junior high always gets like forgotten about. And that's why that's one of the main, one of the many reasons I could felt like love. Because that era is just... It's, a, it's an important period. And she... So... She has a new movie coming out too. Yeah, well, tell her, because I know her her last movie didn't have a score because of budget concerns. I will score her movie for free. She's, I mean, she lives. Follow her on Twitter. She's very approachable. She's just yeah. like, a, she's not unapproachable. Just tweet She's at her. from Brooklyn. She's, she's. I'm pretty sure she still lives here in Brooklyn too. Okay. Brooklyn's the best and the yeah. worst. You should also, and also just the fact that her and Shaka are kind of in that same universe of Brooklyn films. Their films both came out around the same time. They know some of the same people, too, by the way. So you, you should, yeah, you should just tweet out. Just, just hit, hit her. Yeah, she's great. Send her I'm, DM. I'm, I'm very she's curious. Cool. I'm, I'm excited to see people. She's on Facebook. Oh, you're not on Facebook. But. M2 me, where can people find you? You can find me at my website, altericinema.com, Twitter, Sir Corgant. Um... Yeah, those are two easiest ways ways to find me. You can and it, and then via my website, you can get to all my handles. What's your favorite cartoon? 
Uh, Samurai Shampoo? I'm an anime guy. Or is it Neon Genesis? I, I, no, uh, I've watched the greatest anime series ever. Serial Experiments Lane. What? Serial Experiments Lane is the greatest um, series in anime history. That's crazy, because you, you put me on to Neon Genesis Evangelion... And all what's it called? Serial Experiments Lane. It's it's no I mean in, in like in anime canons, it's known to be the like the great art film of like other okay. the great art series of um What about Fooly Cooly? I like Fool I liked Fooly Cooly, but I didn't like it as but I, I you know I I, I didn't like we, it as much as we I We were watching it at the same time. Yeah, as much I as I like Neon Genesis. I also like I liked the actual the original last episode of Neon Genesis Evangelion. See you like that. I like the end of Evangelion. It's, I like both, yeah. but I was fine with the inner pathos of this happening. But you'll be happy. I was at this party, and this person was like trying to like sun me like I didn't know about Miyazaki, because he was all like talking about Miyazaki. He was like, yeah, what's your favorite Miyazaki movie? I was like, Porco Rosso, motherfucker. Nice. And, he, and then he was impressed, and then he, was, and then he, was, then he shut the fuck up. Because cause we saw that movie together. We did. Magical and, film. And uh, there's a scene in Porco Rosso that if you've seen Porco Rosso, that is about them flying planes. Yeah. And me and Scotty were literally on a couch in tears. Yeah. Wow. Like, it just was like... It, it came out of nowhere. We didn't, like... I, I didn't know what to expect from that film. Yeah. And it was just so amazing. And that scene happened on with the planes and... Oh my god! I, I'm actually getting a little emotional right now. Yeah, because it makes me think of my dad, who like yeah. wanted to be a airport, like be a, he he wanted to be a fighter pilot, but hated war. Yeah, it's wow. just like fuck, because it's like it's war sucks. Yeah, Porco. If no one's ever, if people have not seen like Porco Rose is one of those movies that if you're not an anime fan, I say still watch it. I feel like if if as long as you have a beating heart. You will get into it. The, yeah, only, it's, the only reason I ever saw Porco Rosso is I used to work at a video store, and this guy who I'm, I, whatever, I'm pretty sure he was autistic on the spectrum. He refused to return it. Like wow. you have, you'd have to make calls and be like, <laughs> "We need this back." And he, and and literally, it was he was very matter of fact. Just I, I can't. Like he would just say, and then sometimes I can't do that. Uh, no, I can't. And then like, Sorry. like, sir, it's been like twenty. Like you have to return it. <laughs> and then he would come in sometimes, return it, pay the late fee, and re-rent it again. <laughs> and then at one point. We finally got in new Miyazaki films, and he he finally returned it and and rented another one. I was like, "What is this all about?" So I would just I, I, and you're I was like, like, "Wow, this really yeah, is no, exactly." I was like, "If it was that, you know, I, I got to see what this guy just refused to return for over a month." So yeah, I mean, no I don't reason. think Miyazaki has made a bad movie. No, but that one, that one, and Totoro and Nausicaa just like they're great. They kill me. Yeah, they they're, kill they're me. really, really, like, really amazing. I can't. Like, my neighbor Totoro, much like the last uh, Tribe Called Quest album, if you can get through that without bawling, mm. you're either a sociopath or you don't need therapy anymore. Yeah. On that note, this is Zebras in America. Yeah. <laughs> Where can people find you, Marcus? Just uh, Pinland Empire. Just go to Google, type in Pinland Empire, all the stuff comes up. Twitter, my site, Pink Smoke, uh, the old reviews I used to write for Cut Print Film, my SoundCloud page, all that stuff. You can find me at BernerHertzog.CompuServe.AngelFire. Yeah, uh, come on. Left the last night by the quarter to 12. Guess Gene Clean was a warm, I smell. That's
Glass of cabinet, all be swell when cream caramel bring my heart propels. Step to class, as for nomenclature, the summadacia. Pretty round, I figure that many chase you. All cavitated, that slowly get hip shake. Lipstick shine, honey is first rate. Ask my intention, felt the carnal tension. Is this a quick hit or tense freak ascension? Girl, I can promise you this. No slick kiss up my sleeve and wrist. Only tricky twist is sensual bliss. Taking my time to your promise hit. Quite a joy, oh, it's a production reached my peak by Dover. Rush! Seduction, 